there. Welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Today's interview guest is Christine Cupo on all things Italy and the culture of soccer in the United States. We've had some great guests lately, including Andy Harper, Janine Becky, and Tyler Heaps. So check those out. Now, here's my interview with Christine Cupo. Our guest now is a friend of mine in the New York City soccer community. Christine Cupo is a marketing strategy and branding consultant. She appears regularly on the Juventus Twitch shows discussing Juventus. And you've also heard her on the Total Soccer Show and several other U.S. soccer podcasts. She follows Italy's Serie A closely, and you can find her on Twitter at CCupo and Instagram at MissCupo. Christine, it's great to see you. Thanks for coming on the show. Likewise. Thanks so much for having me. I'm glad I could could crash and just sully up the place a bit. <laughs> yeah. No, it's great to have you on. Um, we've been watching a lot of the Euros uh, basically all of the Euros, and we're recording this just after England has advanced to the Euro final to meet Italy, beating Denmark 2-1 in extra time. What are your thoughts on this England-Denmark game? Uh, I think that it's been the least spicy of the Euros <laughs> thus far. I think that if we were just going to sort of create a banner for Euros all in, it's like, why have mental health? and consistent blood pressure when you can just watch all day of Euros because there's been so many matches now that have been extra time pens that you need to pack a snack, maybe a small meal after the snack. Like this is like half day long viewings of soccer, which I am quite accustomed to, but usually it's many games, not just the one where you've got like an eye twitch developing at hour two. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like... I've been watching all these games and usually I sort of base my life around, I'll, I'll, you know, I have my work every day and I'll have a workout and then I'll do my stuff around that. And I now base my life on game days around watching hours and hours of soccer. And it's been great fun, but um, I kind of need this Thursday and Friday off to get myself ready for the Copa America final and then the Euros final this weekend. Yeah, there's there's definitely the necessity for some soccer specific naps between now and Copa America and the Euro final. I, I don't know how it's kind of just been like this slow click up the roller coaster track this entire time. And it just keeps building. It's like, how much anxiety can one actually have and, and maintain a normal functioning life before you just kind of like spontaneously combust? But um, I don't know. It's been exciting. And of course, it's fun. And, and we got a little bit of a taste of real life back again and sort of communal watching of soccer. But I think that uh, it, it's been a lot, quite aggressive. Yeah. So before we get to the main source of your stress, which is Italy, um, penalty or not on this Raheem Sterling situation in extra time against Denmark, what were your thoughts? Uh, I think that it, they could have let that go. I think that it was fortunate for her England that that ref saw it that way. Um, I, I really thought that Denmark was going to pull through. So part of it could just be my bit of disappointment clouding um, a little bit of judgment. I can't will it to be that way. So I can just be disappointed loudly. <laughs> <laughs> I'll admit like Denmark was a great story. I kind of wish this game had gone to penalties, uh, 
and and felt like Denmark did a lot to go ahead in this game, deserved England equalizer. It's just a little unsatisfying, even though I know England was the only team trying to score in the, in extra time because Denmark was totally gassed, but um, just not totally satisfying. I wanted to see Schmeichel get an opportunity on penalties, but I want to ask you about Italy. Uh, you followed this tournament closely. You are an unabashed Italian, an Italian supporter. What are your thoughts on the Azzurri's chances against England in Sunday's final? I think they're good. I just think that being at Wembley, I don't know what kind of vibe England is going to be coming in with. So I, I'm confident, but anxious because that's my permanent disposition now. But this Italy team has a very new, fresh and formidable identity. And that part gives me a lot of hope and I'm excited. So I'm kind of hoping that they show up um, and we have the age, the wisdom, the speed. I mean, all in the the level of talent and the diversity of it that Mancini has managed to sort of create this machine of um, is is certainly a breath of fresh air. Remembering that we set out last World Cup, um, like many others that <laughs> I can just gloss over, but um, <laughs> but yeah, I I I'm excited. And it's been a while since we've seen sort of Italy playing this like attacking, a little bit sexy uh, football, soccer, whatever we want to argue about what it is today. But whatever they're doing, they're doing it right. And it looks good. I mean, that's what I was going to say is not a lot of people predicted Italy would go all the way to the final in this tournament. What has stood out to you the most about this Italy team specifically to make it this special under Roberto Mancini? Well, so... Mancini's done something that I feel like is really been more uh, Conte superpower, which is finding the very okay or players who are overlooked and getting them to be great or play as well as they possibly can. And I think he's like sort of squeezing that out of everyone. They're all working together. Um, he's been doing it too, even with Spinazzola, who had an amazing tournament until he unfortunately tore his Achilles extremely stand out, although he's had a really interesting career trajectory in terms of clubs, um, had a brief spell, even with Juve, um, Atalanta, um, bounced around quite a bit, even Serie B early on, but, um, he's not, I, I never expected him to be as good as he is, um, during this tournament. He certainly stood out and his absence is certainly felt, which is something that I'm primarily concerned about for the final, but all in, I think that, Mancini, he's seasoned enough. He's very smart. He is willing to take some chances, but he really just seems overall to be an amazing manager. And I think that his record has demonstrated that for sure. He might actually be the best Italian manager they've ever had. Wow. Um, But we'll see. We'll see. So far, so good. And I think that um, his willingness to sort of try a bit, um, even in the Spain match, um, the second half, he sort of changed, switched it up and was like, you know what, we're going to, you know, throw Piscina in here. We'll put him behind Berardi, um, control Busquets, and then sort of started to mirror Spain 
versus his usual like 4-3-3 or 5-3-2, which he's tried even in Olympic qualifiers. I think that he tactically is quite intelligent, but I think that um, he's confident enough that he knows what he's doing. So if this were a younger, less seasoned manager, I don't think that he'd be able to do half of this. With that being said, he's not without error. I think that he probably could have better timed some of the subs for the last match, but otherwise made the changes that he should have with what he had. So I think there's that. And then there's just like the overall fight of, of the Italian players. They, they all got big heart. And then you have sort of the elders who I feel like are coincidentally are the heart of our defense. You have Benucci and Chiellini who are just so, I'll say they're just so very Italian about <laughs> how they go about things like including, but not limited to sort of Chiellini um, rolling up to the refs to, to figure out like which side they're taking pens on um, <laughs> that sort of like ice cold, like, yeah, it's fine. I'm just taking a walk through the park. Um, that kind of flips when, when he's playing, when he's just this sort of rabid defender and yeah, they don't have the speed that they once had, but they still have all of the heart um, and all the know-how. So I don't know. They instill confidence. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask what you make of Giorgio Chiellini and, and Leonardo Benucci in this tournament, just their play on the field, but also like, what the heck was that kind of comedy <laughs> show that we saw from Chiellini before penalties with Jordi Alba in the semifinal? I think it was a little bit of an elite level mind game <laughs> by a wonderful, wonderful choreographer that Chiellini is because the thing is, when you are as um, sort of, it's hard to get to this point in his what late, we'll call it late 30s now, and not have lived through a lot of really high pressure moments and acknowledging that this was probably one of the toughest matches they've had. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that he really was like, I'm going to get inside this guy's head. Now's, now's the time. He joked around with him about, you know, which side they'd be taking the pens on to mentiroso is like you liar. Um, <laughs> like I, I love that he went all in and was just like, this is, I'm just going to mess with you. This is pure banter right now in one of probably the most high pressure situations that they've been in in a while. And Alaba obviously did not really appreciate it. You can see how uncomfortable he is <laughs> in the photos of him hugging him. But the fact that he didn't even hug him, like it wasn't even a bro hug, like a pat on the back hug. It was like a full on uncomfortable tight embrace where he had him like tucked under his chin. And I cannot even imagine having to go from that and watching him joke around with the refs to I need to go deal with this this very last straw of this game after we've been at it for two hours. I will say this, that whether it was Chiellini doing that around penalties with Spain or in Argentina's penalties against Colombia on Tuesday night, where Emmy Martinez, the goalkeeper for Argentina, was just (laughs) yapping the entire time at Colombian players and in clearly getting in their heads, and <laughs> I, I, like, I guess I probably should have an issue with this, but I kind of love it. And I, 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 there's something that's kind of fun to me about what Martinez was doing and what Chiellini were doing. That there's there's less fun versions of messing with people and, and doing the whole gamesmanship things. But I kind of liked it. I live for it. I absolutely <laughs> do. I adore it. Because quite frankly, like there's 
there is the physical aspect, which and it's grueling and it's physical and it's long and they're performing. But if you can actually get in somebody's head, it's a superpower. It really is because that's the last thing that you need to crumble and create any sort of potential um, insecurity for them where, oh no, like I'm going to overthink this now. And maybe the overthinking right. helps them in, in the slightest margin, but you know what? Take everything that you've got. And he really did. So I also just appreciate that he can manage to sort of like flip the switch on and off like that. Yeah. Like yeah. good on you, Chiellini, because <laughs> I certainly couldn't. I was watching, not even playing the game and I was sweating. <laughs> oh, shoot. Um, so you were hardcore Juventus. Does this Italy performance with the national team at the Euros have any influence on your thoughts about Juve heading into this new season with Max Allegri back in charge, maybe some changes on the way in addition to that. Like, do you expect Cristiano Ronaldo back? How are you looking at things with Juventus? I, I mean, I obviously have my own, <laughs> my own ideas about what should and could happen, but I think that they will likely stay the course with Ronaldo. Um, he's got one, one more year on his contract, so it's not going to be a shocker. Um, as he exits, but they need to figure out a better way of sort of filling those boots. Um, and I don't know necessarily that right now they're in the position to do that. They also have a liquidity issue, which obviously um, Super League, et cetera, kind of highlighted when, when we realized that, you know, many of them have their pockets outturned and they're just, you know, but I'm poor. And who knew? Um and they're not the only team in Syria that have been experiencing that Inter had a similar problem that they kind of divulged later that they had potentially thought that they could fold um, during peak COVID, which is insane. Right. But um, I think that certainly having Allegri back will make a huge difference. I think that obviously when you have the talent pool, and I don't think that we were doing too poorly last season in terms of uh, dynamism and, and some fairly low-end, low-cost pickups that were impactful, like McKenney. But um, I think that we're getting a lot more out of those players. And and you're kind of seeing that. I mean, you have Benucci, you have Chiellini, we have Chiesa, um, all playing for the national team. And um, just overall quality for Syria has, has been climbing, which has been seen, again, sort of highlighted in Euros, which, hey, good for us. Um, love to see it. Because for so long, I feel like it was downplayed or considered the boring league or slower or any myriad of things. But I think that the team that Mancini has sort of put together is kind of demonstrating that that's, that's not at all the case. Um, and, and you're seeing it obviously elsewhere. Yeah, it seems like in Serie A, it's been a few seasons now that this sort of old Italian league stereotype has gone away of like just being all defense. There have been a lot of goals scored in Serie A. It's been an attacking league. Uh, obviously, Atalanta is one of the most fun attacking teams to watch for, for anybody out there, but other teams too in, in in the league. And I think this Italian national team is representing that a little bit and how they've played in the Euros this year. Um, yeah, I, I'm excited for, you know, for Serie A to be on CBS and, and see how they present it and, and the changes there. Um, I, I do want to take a step back though, a little and ask what is your story in soccer? And <laughs> 
if if you get in if anyone gets into soccer twitter in the u.s you are kind of everywhere what do you do with the sport from co-ed soccer here in new york city to other stuff you've got going so I do a little bit of everything, uh, which is kind of crazy because I never set out for that to be the case, but I am kind of just living proof of just, hey, kind of leaning into the things that I really enjoy doing. And I never really say no or shy away from things that I think are interesting. So I started off, um, I guess it was 2009, 2011, um, playing pickup. I ended up co-organizing one of the largest soccer pickups in the city um, with around, I guess it's like 10,000 members at one point. And that was just sort of my first foray into what that sort of community building grassroots stuff kind of looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and it very much was not my intention. It was just sort of, I want to be here playing. I enjoy making friends. And then I just became a fixture, like a piece of furniture at pickup and everyone expected to see me. And I might miss a whole bunch of things, but I was never missing playing. So I was one part organizer, one part soccer mom, one part sometimes aggressive player. Um, And from there, I made so many friends that uh, I kind of became like the citywide super sub where people would joke around that like I should just be on call and carry boots with me all the time, which at one point I, I really and truly considered doing it because I was constantly running home to grab whatever I could to change and, and run back over. I was playing in Manhattan. I was playing in Brooklyn. I was playing in Long Island city. Um, but I made some of the best friends. And from there I started doing other stuff. So um, doing kit launches, I'm, have helped out Atlantic City FC. I've done Cosmos kit launch, which if you don't have a high appreciation and love for the Cosmos in New York, there's something very wrong with you. <laughs> um, and then I made friends with with sort of other brands from like Icarus and otherwise. And um, been asked to do everything from sideline reporting to um, just MLS Twitter companion shows and things like that. And I just kind of tuck and rolled with all of it. Um, started doing a whole mess of podcasts and guesting and then landed with JB World um, for Juventus just because obviously I love Juve. I love talking about soccer. Um, It's a great community. Uh, People are super supportive and it's nice to just be able to connect with people worldwide and talk about the thing that you love. So I've done that. I've done some guest writing for some blogs for Arsenal. Um, I've done it all. Yeah, I was pretty close. (laughs) You know what I love actually, though, about the soccer community is in the U.S. that it's obviously growing pretty quickly. And yet, even in New York City, it's still small enough that people know each other. And it's been a lot of fun sort of for me ever since I moved back to New York a few years ago to sort of get to know people in the New York City soccer culture. And they can be doing like different things, but you cross paths with folks and I'm wondering if you've had a similar experience. Absolutely. It, it's kind of funny because the the different levels of what I'll even call just soccer friends at this point, from just players, former players, media, journalists, um, people that work for clubs, MLS, um, abroad, friends that I've made that work for Premier League and otherwise, it's just so vast, but also so tight-knit that it's less than probably two degrees of separation from every single person. And if you show up to any one soccer event, even in New York, 
uh, you realize how small that bubble is, but how many of us there actually are. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So it, it ends up being like a weird um, high school reunion that <laughs> is a, probably way more fun than any high school reunion has ever been. <laughs> so you're a pretty hardcore European soccer fan, Juventus, Arsenal, but you also have not hesitated to engage a lot with MLS and you're clearly not a Euro snob. What do you like about MLS? I, I love MLS. I don't like MLS. I love MLS. <laughs> I love MLS for the fact that it's ours, that it started emulating, obviously, other significant world leagues and otherwise, and it's evolved, albeit in some ways slowly, um, but it's taken on its own characteristics, and it's still very much ours. It's, it's a little bit wacky sometimes. Sometimes it can come off to others, especially outsiders, as a little bit cringe. But I feel like MLS is our ever-present reminder to be open-minded because cultures grow and communities are sort of the most prolific when you foster them. So why should we not lean into what that very specific thing is, right? So, I mean, we joke around a lot about sort of MLS history, the the run-up pens, the sort of silly things that have been joked about, or I don't know, that sometimes I think we should bring back, by the way. But um, <laughs> I feel like there's there's a certain amount of history attached to it that I think we need to sort of continue to drag with us. And then the rest of it is an evolution. It's a living, breathing thing. So for me, um, it's been a fun ride. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny now because the 1990s, it's weird, like... You know, I was around at the start of MLS, and yet there, I think, is a sort of revival of the 90s from a sort of historical perspective, even like right now, which is why our, our common friend Pablo Maurer is doing these wonderful stories for The Athletic about stuff connected to then, including one recently on finding one of the three original models for the Columbus Crew badge, which was wonderful. Um, I know your background is in branding and marketing. What do you think present day about these MLS rebrands we're seeing, whether it's Columbus or Chicago or what appears to be one coming in New England? Um, well, I think that the latest wave of uh, perceived demand that the brands and badges, et cetera, are updated has fallen a bit flat. Uh, I don't think that they generally reflect their respective fan bases. And I think that that hasn't been a secret because everyone's quite loud. Um, Everyone knows how to complain and shout when they need to. I think that especially sort of starting with Chicago, that one was a hard one because you always want to sort of hire soccer specific people. And that's not to say that sports specific people within those respective industries are not wonderful, but it's very much uh, nuanced. So if, if you don't really understand the culture, especially American soccer, it's probably going to be a little bit to a lot off. Um, and it seems like those are the people that they've had consulting, right? So you don't necessarily need a France-based design house to do your uh, Chicago logo, you know, like things like that, that, um, and they just didn't seem to take the temperature of their largest supporters. And I think I have a greater issue with this, with 
some of the OG clubs um, versus the newer ones. Because the newer ones, by all means, like you have a lot more arm swinging room to take these chances and kind of small risks. Nobody's there to protest. But when you, you start messing with sort of Chicago Fire or Columbus Crew who have had, you know, the unfortunate series of events whereby they almost didn't exist anymore, the entire Save the Crew campaign, and, and now they have a new stadium and everything else. And then you start tinkering with the badge and it's, it's a big fat question mark when you already know that people are so passionate about this very specific brand. So again, like hang on to your history. It doesn't necessarily have to mean that you're changing your entire brand identity every so many years. That that doesn't necessarily mean that you have a forward trajectory or you're more relevant or you're hot and sexy now. It's it's acknowledging what's there and, and what there is to work with. And for sure, anybody that's considering rebranding at this point should be checking in first with their fan base, first and foremost. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I do like the new re-rebrand of the Chicago Fire, <laughs> which yeah, well, is, right, is but much like, better. Think about it, right? So if you're thinking about just general cost effectiveness, that was not. <laughs> okay, I, that's the kind of thing that you maybe if you want to do a little bit of a, hey, we're just kind of, we're just kind of thinking about it. You float a few prototypes and say, hey, this was leaked. You know, what does everybody think of this? And see what the masses are kind of coming back with. That is free, quite frankly. (laughs) Um, But what they did, I'm sure they spent a lot of money on a consulting firm to specifically do this, to come back with something that they eventually deemed unusable, only to do it again. So, and with that, you still also risk the most important part is alienating your fan base and how many times do you possibly get away with that and i feel like the columbus crew are were kind of leaning toward becoming a case study in that yeah no i agree with you on that i i I know you're also an nwsl fan you've been out to games quite a bit uh for gotham here in the new york city area am i wrong in thinking that the nwsl branding and badges has been generally better (laughs) than MLS, whether we're talking about the new Angel City FC or racing Louisville, things like that. Leaps and bounds. And I don't know where the disconnect is because surely there have to be as attuned front office folks and otherwise that are working for for both sides, both NWSL, MLS, et cetera. Um, But NWSL hasn't really missed yet. They've they've done a really, really good job. even with sort of the the sudden rebranding or what felt like the sudden rebranding for Gotham, um, which, you know, I, I didn't know that they were leaning so heavily into a, a full rebrand, uh, mm-hmm. but every once in a while you suspected just by some of the peppering of questions at, on Twitter that, you know, maybe that was possible. But again, that speaks to things that are free, that you can just pose a question and have people respond to you. You're essentially surveying your, your bubbles of, supporters and they're going to be totally honest with you um and and they did it well they did it really well so you you have them and then angel city the colorways the things that they chose perfect in my opinion there was nothing to complain about it wasn't so lafc um they carved out their own identity we are seeing and you mentioned the word cringe earlier and so i feel like i should almost turn this into a game show cringe or no cringe (laughs) Uh, we're seeing some new and different things here in mls lately so with columbus's new stadium the other day they debuted and mls posted this 
a new goal celebrating tradition in which I guess it's three people acting like the three guys on the original badge jackhammer a piece of concrete. <laughs> And then in Nashville, and this isn't totally new, but it got a lot of attention the other day. They've got this Gibson guitar riff with different musicians doing a guitar riff in the stadium. And obviously Nashville, a very musical city. What do you make of these cringe or no cringe? They're, they're certainly shades of cringe, but <laughs> I think that... I, so I understand, I understand what the crew was striving for. Right. So like there's obviously Timbers, Joey, everybody knows that, that I think that that's great. Right. My thing is if you're going to do something like this, lean into your, every aspect of your being authentically. Right. So it's not a reach to have, you know, crew members, construction crew members, um, there is part of your celebration. Uh, you know, maybe they didn't really need to jackhammer a piece of pavement, but <laughs> nevertheless, it's it's what's happening. And so, I mean, maybe we lean into it in a few years from now, we laugh because it's just part of the folklore and it, it is what it is. Um, in terms of the guitar riffs, like, all right, like, it's a, it's, just a little, it's cheesy for sure. <laughs> um, but, you know, like, it, it's a little bit of that weird that resonates around MLS that I feel like we have to keep things a little bit weird. So it stays ours. Uh, but yeah, like, would that potentially be alienating to say maybe a Eurosnob or some other person who happens to stumble upon those specific MLS teams? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Probably a little horrifying for them. <laughs> I am reminded more than ever during the Euros of just the the clash that we do get sometimes between American soccer culture and European soccer culture. And believe me, I, I deal with it on Twitter all the time. And yet I do think anything that is fun that is in American soccer culture that might be different than what we see in Europe is I hope we don't lose all that stuff. Like I, I because I, right. I want I think, fun. Yes, know? I wholeheartedly agree with you because it is one of the things that differentiates us from them. And I don't think that everything that we do um, needs to essentially bow to European soccer and follow in their footsteps in every single way. And and that comes down to also the whole soccer football thing and naming your team's FC, which I don't for the life of me understand why, why we're still doing this in 2021. You, it's okay. It's okay. You can be an FC. You can leave it off entirely. You don't have to be an, a United and you don't have to be an Inter. It's all right. We'll be okay. Um, and quite frankly, those sort of attachments are not going to be the tipping point from a brand perspective for somebody who's super into um, Premier League or uh, Bundesliga, they're not going to attach to your team simply because you seem to be sort of like-ish, maybe if I squint, like a team I support elsewhere. Um, yeah, I, I I do wish, and we have this immediate too, right? Where like there's ESPN's soccer coverage is called ESPN FC or Sirius XM is Sirius XM FC. And I consume those things and they, they do good stuff. Um, and yet 
part of me just wishes that we'll get to a day at some point where we don't have to be so obvious with doing stuff like that to supposedly attract someone out there by saying like, oh, this is how you know it's soccer. Right. Honestly, time capsule, if we have to lock one photo in there for just like American (laughs) soccer, it's the one of Cosmo Galaxy with the sign that says it's called soccer pointing at Mourinho. (laughs) I love that shot. (laughs) It's iconic. Honestly, Uh... yes. Oh shoot! Lean I still into, get lean, like lean into more of that. Like, why can't why can't we have our own singular yeah. identity and understand that we are certainly part of that lineage? Um, we are cut from essentially the same cloth as Premier League, but we went a very different route. Yeah, I mean, I still get stuff on Twitter every every day about somebody saying "call it football." And yeah, I. I learned to ignore it at this point because you can only do that. You can only have that level of engagement with someone so many times until you just realize this is exhausting. I don't, I don't want to talk about this anymore. It's old and it's boring. Surely there's something else that you can yell at me. Please give me your hot take. (laughs) So what, what are some things you would like to see MLS teams do better? Because you've said you love MLS, but if you love something, there are always things that you want them to do better. Of what course, is it for you? Um, I, I think it's I think it's all happening and it's coming. I, I think that the player pools have evolved with respective salary caps and otherwise when you're not cheating and trying to do a Tam Gam DP combo triple double who knows what the heck some of these teams are doing but um, when done properly being able to sort of inject some of uh, this other talent um, that we're seeing, but also we have a lot of talent coming out of our own academies for the arguably the first time. So, or at the very least, it's gotten enough exposure elsewhere that um, we've become sort of a selling league, and people are taking note of the youth, which is wonderful. Um, I think that probably the last couple of years we've seen the most interest in certainly much larger bubbles for American players that otherwise would have either been funneled directly into MLS or um, spent their entirety of their careers there. Um, FC Dallas is always churning out talent, which is insane. Uh, Philadelphia Union. um, And and then we're seeing players like DK and it's just, it's nuts. Um, I think that all those years that we spent arguing about like, how do we make soccer better in this country um, while we were having them, we actually accidentally fixed some of those issues <laughs> because we're starting to yield all of that sort of talent that we had argued existed or never existed here. What about the NWSL? NWSL. So it's interesting because I feel like as much as they've made improvements and fixed a lot, um, we saw sort of that exodus for a number of our top female players to England and elsewhere, which was a little bit worrying because you never know, you know, how long do I get to hang on to you for? Um, What are you coming back? Are you never coming back? It's, It's sort of a different scenario because our women's national team is the top of the top of the top. So it's kind of the inverse of the men's game where you have individual players who are amazing that are playing in MLS or elsewhere. And then, you know, we're doing our best with, with the men's national team. Whereas you always got to see the best of our ladies playing for the national team. 
So having sort of that schism where you're, you're starting to worry like, hey, you know, like France is getting up there, um, Canada's programs developing, and then you also have just the English in general, um, women's leagues that are trying to take our talent. And yeah, you sweat a little bit because <laughs> like, no, 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 you don't, you don't get to take them. You have to leave them with us, please. It's, it's getting interesting, especially as TV money becomes an even bigger deal in the women's club game. And, you know, the English league just got a big new television contract, you know, bigger than the NWSL. So I'm curious to see if they. Yeah, take it's, it's worrying because wherever, yeah, wherever the dollars go, surely um, everything else follows. So we'll see if that ends up impacting, especially since our national team players are getting older. Um, we're seeing talent in the NWSL for sure. We've now got our youngest with the Thorns with Olivia Moultrie, which is a was a wild story to begin with right. um but it, it's i don't know it, it's interesting to see and i hope that nwsl continues to thrive because it seems like even teams like gotham that came so so far that it's impressive and um i certainly don't want to relinquish our sort of foothold on that just a couple more questions here with christine Cooper. really appreciate you taking this much time um You've exposed me a little bit recently to what I would call soccer TikTok, which (laughs) is still kind of a foreign thing to me and probably a few other listeners here. Um, How would you explain soccer TikTok and what's on there that's interesting to you? Um, So uh, soccer TikTok is is very much a melange of things, right? So (laughs) you have your your general like TikTok soccer accounts that are just recounting plays of the day or something really cool to some TikTok sound. And a sound is a song that's trending um, that you attach to your video for anybody that's really never been on TikTok before. And then there are the various other parts of TikTok. There's the TikTok dances. So sometimes you get a bunch of players on there that are just doing their thing, having a good time, um, juggling. It's been an interesting trajectory having gone through a pandemic with TikTok (laughs) and having players who couldn't necessarily do much, but do TikTok. So uh, there's that. And then there's sort of the messy TikTok, which is like relationship TikTok, um, (laughs) which every once in a while you come across a a head scratcher of a scenario that you just, my word. (laughs) Do MLS players like get mentioned occasionally on this? Yes. So what we've realized, <laughs> what we've realized here, um, is that where um, European soccer players or footballers um, don't necessarily have the luxury of doing anything in a private or semi-private forum without the media automatically knowing what they're doing, how, with whom, anywhere else. So um, the funny part is, you just start seeing these very much TikTok-aged girls. Um, creating TikToks about players that they either are talking to or trying to date or that ghosted them or otherwise or uh, that they saw in a dating app. And that very much is sort of this weird microcosm within soccer TikTok that is reflective of broader TikTok because TikTok has a few genres all in, but it's pretty much either like messy relationship TikTok or uh, you, you have like food talk or... If you have a hobby, trust me, it's on TikTok. So, um, yes, it's, it's its own little reality <laughs> show bubble happening out there. 
<laughs> I mean, I have, I, I, I would say joke, but I've, I have only been half joking that you should start your own podcast and have a regular feature called Dateline Soccer TikTok. <laughs> uh, what are some things that you would put on there from, from recent times? Um, oh my, I don't know. I think I'd be horrified to wake up one day and just be like this weird, like soccer TikTok gossip journalist of some variety that I'm just sort of collating um, other people's drama I would probably turn myself inside out but periodically when they pop up they are highly entertaining I will not <laughs> deny that um, I don't know I don't know if I do a dateline like I think I'd rather do like a, a footballers and babies or footballers and fluffy animals like something <laughs> far more wholesome because once you go down the spiral, there's no, there's no way back up. I don't think I've heard. True. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> in general, on social media, which soccer players, male and female, do you think do social media the best, and why? Okay, so I think that hands down, one of my favorites on social is Karim Benzema. Um, yes, because he is. It's not just your regular game shots or locker room or it's such a mix of just lifestyle, like his own life with uh, football. And then also just this juxtaposition with this other sort of like high end luxury music, <laughs> quasi hip hop videos that he has on YouTube. And he's also the most active and consistent so, I mean, bless that man, because <laughs> even when it's off season, you know, it's like, oh, he's pulling up, he's doing the, the footballer vacation circuit, and he's in Miami, and look at his cars, and his jewelry, and his outfits, and whatever, but um, he, he certainly is a top one, and then I think that um, probably... Um, I have to clump them together, but I think uh, Ashlyn Harris and Ellie Krieger are probably mm -hmm. my favorite um, female social accounts just because um, for similar reasons, quite frankly, I obviously have very, very apparent interests, which fashion is certainly one and they dress dress. So right. um, I'm extremely here for that. Um, and then obviously like extremely incredible ballers to begin with. And then as an aside, we have like the bonus baby now. So yes. who does not want to see that? Like, um, yes, yes. They tick all the boxes. Um, 10 out of 10, definitely best in social. I do think Ashlyn Harris got into the social media hall of fame with her 2019 world cup final post game and like subsequent oh my days, Insta stories. And is, is there an, uh, I know they disappear, but like, is there any way that somebody archived that? Because I feel like posterity should be able to see those things. We Honestly, yes. <laughs> we need to make sure that the Soccer Hall of Fame actually includes all of these things. Because, again, just like the Cosmo Galaxy, it's called Soccer Picture. We need all of her World Cup videos archived for all of eternity. <laughs> If, if, you're the soccer, like, if you're the National Soccer Hall of Fame and you're listening to this, I love this idea <laughs> and there should be an exhibit that's permanent so that we get a little more spice into the Soccer Hall of Fame. We deserve it. We deserve it. <laughs> um, I am going to give you a plug here. I'm going to mention your amazing monthly soccer-themed pop-up cookie operation, which has these great <laughs> Jay Peterman-style descriptions of each kind of cookie. 
And I'm wondering, like, can you explain what is it and how did it come about? <laughs> so I've, I've been baking my entire life. Uh, quite frankly, you don't really get born into an Italian American household and not cook or pick, pick your poison. Right. So, um, as a kid, I was always super into baking and as I became an adult, uh, even more so. Um, but I specifically had focused in on, I really enjoyed making cookies and for a really long time, I had only made them for family, friends, people that I love. And once the pandemic hit, um, as we were all just sort of aggressively running through our sourdough bread repertoire and banana bread and juggling toilet paper and doing our home workouts and videoing them um, and on the brink of insanity, I had started baking again and just started thinking about it. And with that, that was probably the longest stretch of time that I had gone without actually playing soccer outside of a major knee surgery that I had. And so I was getting a little stir crazy. Um, and I realized that I probably was in need of a lot of creative outlet and I needed my soccer fix. And I certainly was not shying away from baking there. There was plenty of time to do that. And I kind of just one day said, after I had posted yet another batch of cookies, I'm so sorry to everybody that was following me at that time, um, because I'd get comments that were, you know, can you ship those to me? Can you send them to me? And I started thinking about it. And I said, well, I never really had the intention of starting a small cookie business, but maybe I'll, maybe I'll do it. And so I thought about it. And one day popped up, just tweeted out like, hey, I think I'm going to do a cookie pop up. And I'm tweeting this to hold myself accountable so I can't back out. And I did it the first month. And within a half hour, I sold out and then frantically um, figured out, you know, what I had to do, secure a kitchen, et cetera. Uh, all within seven days, I built a website, photograph cookies, everything that you could possibly do to start a business, which was just insane. But that's kind of the speed that I work at. I'm either 500% all in or probably laying on the floor, staring at the ceiling. So I, I did it and it brought me a lot of joy just because again, I, I, I am me and I don't have anybody looking over my shoulder saying, Christine, you cannot write that about England. Like, why would you do that? Like, there's nobody there to babysit the kid. And so I'm just having the best time of my life. Um, just sort of melding together two things that I'm quite good at and enjoy a lot. And it allows me to kind of express things that I didn't get to. And it's just sort of carried over now that we're all sort of free roaming vaccinated humans. Um, so I'm kind of just trying to see like what, the, what the longevity is like, do I want, do I want to make this less of a pop-up and more of a, this just exists and you guys can get my cookies at will. And so we'll see where it goes. Cool. Well, I have ordered them. They're very good. What What are some of the two, if you have two or three of your favorite names that you've come up with for types of that cookies? I've come, um, so probably uh, Bruised Banana because that's <laughs> my favorite arsenal kit. And so obviously it was, it was a banana swirl cookie. Um, and I think probably um, one of my favorite <laughs> things I've written probably in terms of copy was uh, tastes like top four, which is uh, a dark, dark chocolate, dark chocolate chunk, uh, sea salt with uh, sort of a butterscotchy thing happening. And that was one of my cookies that I've made for so many years. So 
sort of getting to rename it and remake it as something else was was a good time but yeah like I have a good time with even just like writing the stuff out um those were definitely my favorites I think to date and then uh U8 um that I named <laughs> because they're uh M&M chocolate chip cookies which who doesn't love an M&M cookie come on but um just sort of harkens back to like being a kid and and the things that that you like the things that you remember liking um and doing sort of a whole nostalgia series for cookies where I did snack truck which reminded me of me playing when I was a kid because my not that I was being bribed but after every game we went over to the snack truck and I could get whatever I wanted of the candy and cookies and whatever so um just sort of trying to keep some of that feel alive within them okay last thing here what is going to happen in the Euros final on Sunday, Italy, England? Give me a score. Tell me what's going to happen. Oh, my God. This is so stressful already. I'm going to break out in hives. Um, so I think that um, we're going to end up with, I'm sorry, it's not coming home, but uh, <laughs> Italy are going to win. Um, I, I don't think it's going to be an easy go. It's probably going to be another grueling extra time pens where my heart is residing somewhere between my throat and my brain. Um, and I don't know. I feel like, I feel like they're going to get stuck at like a two, two and then Italy will win in pens. There you have it. Take it to the bank. Euro's <laughs> final on Sunday, Italy, England, Brazil, Argentina on Saturday night, Christine Cupo is a marketing strategy and branding consultant. She appears regularly on the Juventus Twitch shows discussing Juventus. You've also heard her on the Total Soccer Show and several other U.S. soccer podcasts. She can be found on Twitter at CCupo and Instagram at Miss Cupo. Christine, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. It was a great time. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. I'd like to thank Christine Cupo as well as producer Chris Whittingham. If you like the podcast, you could do me a huge favor and hit that subscribe button and provide a rating and a review. I'm back soon with another interview of someone from the soccer world. Be safe, everyone. See you next time.